FX Medicine Live is proud to be part of the Naturepreneur Experience to be held from the 14th to the 16th of February 2020. NatX 2020 is the annual business and personal development event by practitioners for practitioners, whether you're a student, startup, or established professional. For more information, click on events under the community tab at fxmedicine.com.au. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line again today is Dr. Lewis Ehrlich, a dentist who is passionate about the many links between oral and general health. His mission? To educate people to take control of their own health and prevent oral health disease in and in turn overall health diseases. Lewis is a highly sought after holistic dentist who graduated from James Cook University, that's JCU, with the academic medal. Before studying dentistry, he completed a Bachelor of Science at Northeastern University in Boston, USA. Lewis practices along with his father and uncle at Sydney Holistic Dental Centre. Lewis is also a bone marrow donor, and this, he says, is his proudest achievement. Welcome back to FX Medicine, Lewis. How are you going? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me, having me back on. So let's first start out. Um, dental health preventing systemic disease, one would ostensibly be thinking of things like rheumatic fever, but I think it goes further than this, correct? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the the health of your mouth can impact on so many things. And um, what's, uh, what's pretty amazing is the amount of research that just keeps coming out um, <laughs> months month on months. And uh, there's links between gum disease and things like pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, um, breast cancer, wow. um, a whole whole range of, of new stuff coming out um, all the time. And, it, you know, with, with all these things, it goes back to, you know, the, the presence of chronic inflammation in the body. And we all know that acute inflammation is a beneficial thing, but it's that chronic inflammation that, causes a lot of dramas in the body and one of the most common places for that is obviously in in the mouth with about you know 25 to 50 percent of Australians um, have have gum disease so that's amazing so just gum disease is driving this sort of smoldering inflammation which is having systemic effects on the body not just from an infective nature but from an, an inflammatory nature correct yeah yeah. 50% of Australians have got poor gum health, some sort of gum disease. What's happening with the health system? Why aren't people waking up to visiting dentists regularly? I think it's a range of factors. One is that there's kind of this compartmentalization of our health system. And I know that that has to happen to an extent in the sense that we need specialists to do specialized procedures. But in many ways, I think in our training, it's perhaps gone a little bit too far and we can lose track of, you know, the, the bigger picture and how it all connects. So, you know, you've got obviously dentists that look after the mouth, you've got cardiologists that look after the heart, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, and I think that in doing that, 
um, I think we we kind of lose track of, like I said, the bigger picture, and and then you end up getting poorer health outcomes for patients. So I think there needs to be a greater awareness of, um, you know, other people's areas of expertise to to see, you know, um, how, how else we can help one another because. You know, for example, I, I asked a cardiologist friend of mine the other day and she didn't have any clue whatsoever about some of this new research coming coming out showing that there's links between gum disease and heart disease. She was kind of only all over the in- infective endocarditis stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and you just think, wow, like, you know, they hammered, they, they've been hammering us about this for years and yet it's not sort of, you know, penetrating into other areas of health, which is a little bit disappointing. So I think that's one factor. From a dentist professional aspect, how do you dialogue with other health professionals, even in the orthodox arena, let alone the complementary arena? Look, to be honest, I think there's massive room for improvement there. We, we, uh, I mean, in our practice, because we're we're you know thinking about things a bit more globally, a bit more holistically. We're we're kind of trying to always research up on the ways that the mouth can affect other areas of the body. And quite frankly, we don't have time nor the expertise in some of those areas to go through and treat people for say, you know, if I pick up a gut a problem with someone's gut, or if I pick up a problem potentially with someone's heart, um, you know, I'm not going to go through and and do that treatment, but I feel like it's my, my responsibility to recognise it and then communicate with our network of ref- referrers um, to go through and 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 treat that that patient. The problem is is that when it comes to oral health, there's kind of a lack of understanding um, in the reverse. You know, when when they potentially could be doing a little bit more to to get patients' oral health in in tip top shape as well. So I think. Um, you know, the way we practice, we're in constant communication with um, other health practitioners. Like, for example, the other, the other day I saw a patient who – I saw him in the waiting room. He, had, he was overweight. He had a huge neck circumference. So already I'm screaming – I'm thinking sleep, it's screaming sleep apnea at me. Um, he's got a really set back, small jaw, but huge – amount of, of weight around his neck and then he comes in, he's got a history of heart disease in the family um, and then I took a, a panoramic x-ray, I'm not sure if you've, you've probably had a, one of those done, they're those, those ones that OPG. get your whole jaw. The OPG. OPG. Yep. Yep, correct, yeah. Um, and there's actually a few studies showing that you can pick up carotid calcifications in a certain area um, on an OPG, uh-huh. and given given the fact that he was, um, you know, <laughs> screaming that he had sleep apnea from the way he looked and the way he was answering his, his sleep questions that we give our our patients, throw in the fact that he had a history of heart disease in his family, um, you know, on his OPG, it actually showed these carotid calcifications. Now I've picked that up. And I've referred him on to an integrative GP who's done some some tests, and then it's actually come back that he had carotid calcifications, and then he's gone through and now seeing a, a cardiologist. 
And then, you know, I'm, I've also referred him on to a sleep physician because all the signs sort of point to sleep apnea. So I think that there's, from from the way we practice at least, you know, we're constantly on the lookout for for some of these issues and then refer refer on. But I'm not I'm not always so sure that it's reciprocated because people just don't, one, know or, um, you know, haven't read enough about um, the impact of the mouth on, on overall health. What symptoms might somebody have if they have sleep apnea? What should somebody be alert for? If, you, if you're snoring a lot, that's a, that can be a sign of sleep apnea. Mm. Um, waking up really tired after a, a, you know, a good long sleep. Waking up gasping for air. So you're kind of doing this. <gasps> um, oh, okay. That can be a sign. Um, waking up really, really wired and energised in the middle of the night is, is a classic sign of sleep apnea. Um, falling asleep or needing to have a snooze after lunch without alcohol is, a, is another one. Um, you know, falling, falling asleep, uh, watching TV in the middle of the day or um, even, you know, you hear some people nodding off even at a red light. You know, these are all Whoa. classic signs. I mean, we should really be sleeping our, our required hours, you know, sort of your seven, eight hours for seven, eight, nine hours, depending, you know, for, for adults. And we should be able to go throughout our day without needing to have a snooze. And if, you, if you're tired, um, it, it can be a sign that you're not breathing well while you're sleeping. A lot of people just think sleep is about putting your head on the pillow and that's it. But it's actually the way you're breathing when you're sleeping, which is, you know, in my opinion, the most important. And obviously, you know, the best assessment of how you're breathing when you're sleeping is your partner. And if you haven't got a partner, you're in trouble. But uh, where can well, we go? there's 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 apps now. It's amazing, but you know, a lot of a lot of patients are actually, you know, they're single, they don't have a partner, but they've. I, I didn't even tell them to do this. Like a lot of them have just intuitively done it. They've actually recorded themselves on their phone and. Um, they've come in and said, listen to my snoring. This is insane. And listen to me stop breathing here. They're almost like diagnosing themselves. And then, and then you, you know, give them a whole range of sleep, sleep related questions that we do, do at our practice. And then you're just like, well, okay, this is seriously stacking up. And the other really, um, fascinating thing is that if they've got mild or moderate sleep apnea, one of the things that we, treat them with is actually a dental appliance that holds the lower jaw forward mm. the lower ju- the tongue is obviously connected to the lower jaw and what happens is when you start snoring or when you've got sleep apnea it, the tongue drops back into the airway and you make an audible noise um, and then basically the the night guards that we make hold the jaw forward so it stops it dropping back at night and we're able to titrate those um, so we can bring the jaw further forward over time. And one of the great ways that we do um, decide whether or not to put a patient forward is to get them to record themselves because if they're still snoring, they're still choking, they're still doing those sorts of, sorts of things, then we know that we have to bring them forward. If they're quiet, then job done. Okay, so if you're bringing the jaw forward and they're mm-hmm. in a supposedly relaxed state, could mm-hmm. you be like stressing the jaw forward or, or is it because the jaw is 
over-relaxing backward. What's happening there? Is it purely their tongue or is it more to do with the weight that they're carrying in their neck is closing off the airway to some degree? Yeah, it's, it's multifactorial. You have these, um, it's called a class two bite. So your jaw is, is set back. Um, so if you imagine the, the opposite of that is when, you know, those really prominent jaws where you see they've almost got an underbite. So they're less, they're in a way less likely to have sleep apnea than those small jaws that are kind of set back. Like gotcha. if you look at someone from the side, yeah. they'll be, you know, they'll look like they've had, they don't have a very prominent chin. Um, so there's that, but then there's also, uh, you know, a weight issue. So if you're carrying a lot of weight around the neck, um, then there's going to be uh, a higher chance of sleep apnea. But yeah, it's an interesting point you raise, and this is one of the reasons why we have to balance the amount of snoring and symptoms with jaw position because if you actually bring the jaw too far forward too quickly, you can actually get some TMJ issues, that's one. Um, but two, you can also... Um, lose contact on your back teeth. Ah. So, so we have some patients that have just been moved too far forward too quickly or, you know, they're just a little bit more susceptible than, than others. Mm. And they, they go, I can't, I can't chew on my back teeth. And you have to build their bite up or you have to change, um, you know, change appliances and see if that jaw can recapture into the, into that previous previous position but the the thing that you have to realize there is that that risk is very low um so we always say that there is a small chance it's i think it's somewhere between two and five percent will get some sort of bite change um but then you have to think am i more concerned about a dental problem or am i more concerned about a medical problem that is going to reduce the length of my life and most people will say i'll you know, well, if it happens, I'll deal with the dental issue that can be fixed anyway. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm actually dealing with my medical problem. So, Indeed, it was a colleague who alerted me to the fact that her very young husband died um, of sleep apnea. This is a, a, something that affects not just that stereotypical person, but it affects many others. And, and we really need to be aware of what's happening while we're asleep. So I love that tip of recording yourself while you're asleep. It, it, we sleep for a third of our lives. Mm. So it, if, if you're not doing it well over and over and over again, year in, year out, then you, you, you're just not going to have a, a strong immune system. It, it builds resilience. Um, you, you can't be healthy without good sleep. Mm. I mean, you get, you think about what a one bad night's sleep does, think how cranky you are, how sluggish you are when you're at work or what have you. You know, these people, some people aren't breathing, mm. you know, for years and years and years on end. And you're right, it doesn't discriminate. I've, I've diagnosed, um, I've suspected sleep apnea, which has been diagnosed in, you know, a three-year-old. And then oh I've also God. had, and then I've had another patient who's, a fitness instructor, bodybuilder, super, super, wow. super fit guy. And I, I sent him for a sleep study because he was waking up really tired. Didn't think he was getting, you know, much bang for his buck when he was sleeping. And mm. um, it, he had an AHI index, which is basically apneas or hypopneas per hour of sleep. And they have to go through about 10 seconds or more. Yep. 
Um, that's when you either stop breathing or partially stop breathing. Um, so an apnea is when you completely stop breathing. Hypopnea is when you partially or there's a partial blockage of the airway or decreased oxygenation, etc. And um, he had an AHI of 57 an hour. Wow. So potentially he wasn't even breathing for half half his sleep. Mm. It's it's amazing. Like I had a similar experience where somebody was huge, and just by using a, a BPAP, uh, a BiPAP, sorry, machine, so that we're talking about positive pressure in and positive pressure out, sort of thing, they decreased it down to I think it was twelve, and it was it was massive number. I can't remember what it was originally. So um, yeah. decreasing it to twelve isn't isn't perfect, but it cheapers it made a difference to their life. Yeah, and then you know there's. There's risk of heart disease, diabetes. There's like in, you know insulin resistance, um, depression, anxiety, road accidents. It's a it's a massive problem, mm. um, and can affect your systemic health greatly. And and your mouth plays a, a huge role, you know, because if you've got tiny jaws, you you're a mouth breather. You got small airway, big tongue, a little bit overweight, what have you. Um, these these things play a role. So, you know, I see a lot of kids and, you know, one of the one of the key things that they can do is breathe through their nose, um, tongue at the roof of their mouth, sit up straight all the time um, and then, you know, trying to reduce the amount of allergens in the room. Um, you know, dust mite covers I recommend and vacuuming beds with, HEPA filter vacuum, you know, yep. decreasing that because if they, if they start mouth breathing, their jaws won't develop as, as broadly as they otherwise should and then they'll get tooth crowding, which means less space for their tongue and then if they mouth breathe, they're more susceptible to sleep apnea. So that three-year-old was a chronic mouth breather, had like a, you know, huge, huge bags under his eyes and was just so stuffy. The back of his throat was all inflamed and had you know huge huge tonsils adenoids etc and um you know these are all things that are are really important for parents to be aware of and to have analyzed because you know at the end of the day you can do huge amounts to prevent sleep apnea in a, in a child notwithstanding you know obviously sleep apnea but what about hypopnea um and what about things with you've mentioned it with t's and a tonsils and adenoids just before what about the obvious scourge of the western world you know the allergies like is it as simple as just sleep or do you have to look at holistic management of this like all-encompassing management oh sleep's just one part of the picture so i mean you know if you if you're eating really you know, really inflammatory for food for that particular person, then this gets back to, you know, individualizing your treatment. Yeah. One food might be perfectly normal for some per- in one person and com- completely horrible for somebody else. Um, there's definitely a nutrition component, breathing component, um, jaw size component. So, you know, kids aren't, kids and adults, we're just eating mush all the time. We're not using our jaws and, you know, everything's soft and convenient food, sticky, sugary, et cetera, and we don't have to use our jaws anymore. What we should be doing is actually eating really, really hard foods to put tension on the jaw, you know, through use of our muscles, which helps it helps it to grow. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, a lot of people don't don't realise that they not only have to eat nutrient dense um, whole food, but also has people have kids kids especially, but all people have to eat hard foods. We were designed to to put our jaws under stress, and that, that's actually showing up with a rise in the amount of jaw fractures that we're seeing in Australia in in children. Oh, that's really interesting. In children. Yeah, so incidences of jaw fractures because we're just not eating a hard diet. I mean, there's obviously multifactorial again, but one of the factors is that we're just not putting our jaws under tension. Like we were designed to rip and chew and, you know, chew and chew and chew and chew hard Mm. food. But Mm. we, everything's, you know, mush and, you know, just soft everything. Yeah. Everything that you eat throughout the day is pretty much soft. When it's, it's just not meant to be that way and our jaws are shrinking and it's a health epidemic because it affects our breathing. Something that you mentioned before regarding oral cancers, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, this this is quite amazing. Just how important is the microbiota of the mouth to affect the gut lower down? And indeed, what about, I think you mentioned breast cancer as well. What's happening there? Yeah, so I mean, stomach cancer is a really interesting one because what they're what they're showing is that, and that if you've got an increase in like aggressive oral pathogens and a lack of bacterial diversity, they're actually showing in a recent study out at NYU that um, it's a it's a it's a predictor of precancerous lesions and, and stomach cancer. Um, so what what that raises is a, is a couple of things. One, the bacteria that live underneath the gums that live in the presence without oxygen, so they're anaerobes, they're really aggressive. What what they're actually doing is obviously tracking down into the stomach. But what, what I found fascinating about a, a lack of bacterial diversity is this kind of ad, adversarial approach that we take to bacteria. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're seeing that in, in other studies as well elsewhere in the body. I think there was a study that came out the other week about leukemia being, um, you know, the risk of leukemia, I should say, um, is decreased if a child is exposed to a lot of pathogens, um, in their first year of life to prime the immune system to deal with infections that are now sh- basically shown to trigger a certain type of leukemia. So it's this idea that wow. we have we have to obliterate all bacteria, all bacteria is bad, you know, like these sterile homes and, you know, washing our hands all the time and, you know, just seeing bacteria as the enemy. What we're now seeing with a lot of cancers is that that is not necessarily a good thing. So, you know, Listerine ads and blowing the blowing the mouth up and getting rid of all the bad bacteria and all this sort of stuff, well, there's collateral damage and, you know, the the mouth and the, and the stomach's pretty intimately connected and if you're getting rid of a lot of the good stuff and you, you don't have that diversity in your mouth, then that's showing to, you know, to, to leave you more susceptible to, to cancer in the same way that, um, you know, leukaemia is is starting to be shown to wow. be a result of, of that as well. So scary stuff. 
I think it's amazing when you think that benzalkonium chloride, the active ingredient in a lot of these mouthwashes, is the same benzal benzalkonium chloride that is used to a clean the screens of our windows and b clean our floors. Yeah, it's, it just makes it makes no sense. I mean, yeah. So I mean, how do we how do we maintain good good diversity in the mouth? And that's you know eating plenty of natural whole foods and eating a range of vegetables and plenty of fiber and plenty of chewing and all that sort of stuff is is really important um and not thinking that you can just eat whatever the hell you want and obliterate your your nasty bacteria with all these chemicals i think that's just the wrong way around have you found any foods in particular are better for oral health you know we we talk about prebiotics and probiotics for our gut but yeah. there are also prebiotics and probiotics that are more suited. I get diversity, I get individuality, but there are those foods that tend to be more suited for our mouth. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think eating as naturally as possible is obviously um, important, um, but we actually need a whole range of different colours, a whole range of different um, different vegetables. They're really important. Um, you know things things to snack on like celery sticks, carrots, nuts, those sorts of things that actually stimulate saliva really important to your oral health and keeping um, some good bacteria in there. Um, nutrient dense foods, vitamins A, D, E, and K. Foods high in that are really important for diversity, but also tooth and jaw strength. Um, you mentioned before to me athletic performance. This is really interesting to me. Oral health and athletic performance. I, I, I talk talk to people about this all the time because I'm so into my my sports. I used to be a professional soccer player, and I'm still into my. I, I casually surf, but I'm into like my sprinting, and I've competed in the in the state state titles and things recently. And any sort of athletic edge is really gets me excited. And then when when you can you know combine it, but to to oral health and what's happening in the mouth and you know they're my they're my two favorite things so I'm like a kid in a candy store when I read this um but yeah essentially the the position of the jaw and the way the teeth meet i i we're talking about a bite um can actually affect athletic performance so basically some some research coming out of Italy but also some with Australian rowers um in Australia have shown that the position of the jaw can actually reduce the time it takes for, for lactic acid acid to be produced, so it delays onset of lactic acid, um, decreases heart rate during perform um, during work during performance during competition, um, and then basically they've also shown that it increases um, strength of muscles, but also um, muscle balance from left side of the body to the right side of the body. So we, we tend to be dominant on one side. Yeah. So you know you know when you're lifting yep. certain weights, you'll have a weak arm. You know, you'll you'll say, oh my left hand, my left arm's a little bit weaker than my right or what have you. What they're finding is that um, with a particular mouth guard that is made, this is what I was kind of getting at, is mm. that um, a mouth guard is made at a particular position, which decompresses the jaw joint opens up the airway, decreases cortisol, and then the result of that is that there's a decrease in heart rate during performance, which is always a win. And then there's also a, a delayed onset of lactic acid, which you know means 
better performance, better times, better strengths, etc. So it's fascinating stuff. So, so it's not just as simple as getting a, a mouth guard to protect your teeth like in a, a contact sport or something. It can actually be a functional thing that can improve your athletic performance. Yeah, so when I've, I've, I've popped a little bit of this information on my social media and a lot of people say, they've replied to me just saying, oh, yeah, I've got a mouth guard at home. Right. It's, it's, not, it's not as simple as that at all. Right. So there's a particular, what we call a, a bite record that we have to take mm. um, after doing a few tests. Uh, it's a little bit sort of hard to explain over the, over the phone without being visual, but essentially it's, it's not just a matter of getting your footy mouth guard and popping it in and expecting that you're going to be a better athlete. Um, it's it's a very it's a very exact science on where to put the teeth into contact and um, you know where to, what ho- what height to set the night guard at etc. But hugely important for people training. So mm-hmm. not so much during during the actual competition, but um, yeah, for training, it's been shown to to really improve. Training and performance outcomes. What other systemic diseases can be affected by oral health? Oh, there's there's a lot. Um, I mean, there was even a study the other the other week that came out showing that um, you know gingivitis, not gingivitis, periodontitis rather, um, it was uh, was correlated to retinal degeneration, as an example. So your eye health is actually uh, compromised by poor wow. gum health. Really? So, yeah. So what they actually found in the study is that um, a p- particular form, again, of aggressive um, bacteria associated with with periodontitis, gum disease. Um, so one of the one of the main culprits was at play, which is P. gingivalis, which is again as a an anaerobic bacteria, and this has been shown to actually infiltrate the eye tissue and contribute to retinal degeneration, which is crazy. So, I mean, absolutely so, crazy. Yeah, so you just think, oh, well, I've got, I've got gum disease. It's only going to affect my gums. But again, we can't look at things in isolation because you know gum gum disease is linked to, like I said. Um, things like stomach cancer, pancreatic cancer, and even these these bacteria can you know travel through the bloodstream, affect the heart, and and now we're even seeing them in affecting you know vision. So if you want to keep your vision throughout life, um, which is pretty important, um, then it just gives people added motivation to actually prioritise their oral health because in Australia at least it it's not something that is at the forefront of people's minds when it comes to their health. And, you know, testament to that is that the Australian Dental Association released some statistics, uh, I think, World Oral Health Day the other the other month in March and showed that 55% of Australian adults only brush their teeth once a day, which is pretty crazy. So, I mean, if you think of it just as a... You know, as a chore that doesn't warrant anything, then you're, you're you're mistaken. And if people knew how much this chronic inflammation and, and these bugs are, are, are you know causing so much havoc with people's systems elsewhere in the body, then I think that you'd get a lot more motivation, which you know sort of gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> 
You know, we speak about brushing, and that's obviously a human thing that we have to do because of, I'm going to say, our evolutionary diet uh, and high-sugar diet. Dogs don't brush their teeth, but then they're carnivores. And then you talk about other animals that might be either omnivores or vegetarians, but that doesn't stop them from having dental disease, and it can actually kill them. So somewhere along the line, we've got to have this um, uh, happy medium, if you like, of dental health. But do you think brushing or flossing or both is a must or which one, how would you strategize, how would you prioritize those? I think that you've got to be doing both of those things. Um, The bacteria that live underneath the gums are, are those really aggressive ones that leave you more susceptible to systemic diseases. And what you're actually doing with your flossing is introducing oxygen into an area where there's no oxygen, and that's where they those really aggressive type of bacteria thrive. So what you're actually doing when you're flossing is you, people need to get this out out of their head that they're getting rid of all the bacteria, and that's not the, the case. You're no. making the, the the bacteria more friendly and, and less aggressive, and in turn reducing your risk of of these systemic diseases. Um, but I I would be I would be doing both, um, really. I don't think that you can skip on that. And, and th- like, you, you, f- you see patients' priorities and, you know, in our, in our medical history at work, we'll, we'll, one of the questions is how many coffees do you drink a day? And, you know, you have patients that will stand in line for a takeaway cappuccino for, you know, four times during the day. Yeah. And that, that, that might take, you know, 20, 20 mi- minutes in total. But yet they can't find five minutes you know, to floss. Two, five <laughs> minutes to floss their teeth. I mean, it's it's funny that some you know some people's priorities, but this is the this is part of part of the challenge is getting, and an exciting challenge is to you know get get some behaviour change out of people. The thing to note there is that, and this is one of the important reasons why avoidance is really poor. If mm. you take me as an example, I'm a dentist highly trained, know exactly how to brush and floss, and yet I'm I'm like everybody else. I'm a creature of habit. I will miss the same spots over and over and over again yeah. for, six, for six months, and then I need to go in and get my cleans because I don't want that to progress into something more aggressive and, and sinister. And, you know, this idea that you can go years and years and years without um, seeing a dentist is just all wrong because, you know, 90... I I think about ninety five percent of oral diseases don't present with pain, and people just use the absence of pain as a, as yeah. a barometer of oral health, which yep. is just which is not a good barometer at all. Lewis, I have to ask you: sleep position. You know, we all talk about the perfect sleep position, you know, and and you see the lovely person lying on a mattress with their straight spine, but we move in our sleep. You know, what Mm -hmm. happens? How do we control an issue with breathing when we're sleeping? Yes, I mean, there's there's something called like a a postural sleep apnea, so that you can actually get people that have sleep apnea only when they're in certain positions. Um, which means that sleeping position is hugely important um, for your for your breathing while you're sleeping. Um, ideally, you should be on your your side. Um, back, you'll have a tendency to to have the the tongue dropping in the airway if you're a bit of a mouth breather. Mm. Um, and then stomach sleeping isn't great as well because it'll promote some 
some mouth breathing, but also posturally puts a lot of strain on your neck and, and lower spine. Um, a chiropractor's dream. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's true. We do move. And one of the, one of the tips that I give my patients is to, um, lock, try and lock yourself into that side sleeping position. So you want a, a pillow at the right height, obviously, so your, your neck's not too high or too low. Yeah. And then you, you want to put a pillow underneath your, your top leg. Uh, if that makes sense. So it's at a 90 degree angle when you're on the side and then you place a pillow underneath your top leg and then you also pop a pillow in behind your back so that you can't roll onto your stomach and you can't roll onto your back. Oh, okay. Um, so pillow underneath your, your leg on one side and pillow behind your back on the other side and that means that there ain't nowhere for you to go. So lock yourself in is the really the the best sort of advice that you can give to so sort of to train ourselves. I'm going to assume, and then we start to learn that unconsciously. Is it over a period of time? Yeah, you're just trying to retrain yourself, and it's really really difficult for people because they they feel uncomfortable mm. um, breaking a habit that they've had for so many years. But you got to think of the health benefits, and and you just got to work your work your way through it but it's amazing the amount of stomach sleepers that we see with with small jaws and they they do a lot of mouth breathing and they got crowded teeth and um there's certainly an um an influence of sleep position in that Lewis, thank you so much for taking us through. This is like, I, I can tell that we haven't really touched the surface here. There's so much more to investigate um, just on this aspect, but I really look forward to another podcast in the future with you. And to me, it's obvious, you know, you and your your family, um, you're really knowledgeable, you're responsible, and you you really have this expertise in holistic dentistry that, that just glows for... Um, you know, individualised health and, and care that you give to your patients. Well done and thanks for um, coming on to FX Medicine. Pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you're a regular visitor to the FX Medicine website, you would have seen many of our great infographics. These are all now available for use in your clinic. You can download them for free and the high-resolution versions are available for purchase as A3 or A2 posters or as a digital file. Simply click on the button beneath your favourite infographics at fxmedicine.com.au.